1: lots of things are better together hockey food golf how about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day but if you really want to take things to the next level drink some labat blue lights with your friends and live life to the power of we always enjoy responsibly beer labat usa buffalo new york another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help
2: Good to have you with us here on the GM Shuffle. I'm seeing these tweets pop up. I'm sure you have as well, Mike. People saying, according to Spotify, the GM Shuffle is my number one listened to podcast of the year. So I've seen a handful of those tweets. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much to all those people out there listening. It's pretty gratifying as we get to the end of the
0: year knowing there's so many people who put us at number one. It, it really is. It's, it's humbling and I appreciate it. I, I Certainly, I know you do and I do. And, and as we start, as we continue to build this audience and try to give you unfiltered opinions, you know, I know people say sometimes we're too negative. But you know the truth sometimes hurts, Ad. You know it's not. How are you going to be positive about Matt Nagy and Dan Campbell? I'd like to know that. How do you craft that? Like, how do you craft that narrative of, oh, everything's fine, you know, everything's wonderful. My name is my name is Rod Wood, and I hired Dan Campbell, and Turkey was fabulous on Thanksgiving after watching him call two timeouts immediately in a row. You know, everything's great. You know, you know. There's this unwritten rule, I think, in pro football that you're not allowed. It's almost like like, you know, you, you ever you never hear doctors criticize doctors, right? Never, yeah. they together. They're, yep. they're all st- mm-hmm. it's the same thing in coaching. Like you know, like you, you listen to the Monday night broadcast, or you listen to any of these. Bro- they they never critique the coaching. And I get it because they have to go back into the facility again to talk to the coaches. But if you know football well enough, do you really need to talk to the coaches to figure out what they're doing? Can't you come up with your own idea? I'm watching the tape. Here's what I think. Here's what I don't think. Like, how come you're so dependent on the coach? And so, therefore, since you're so dependent on him, you won't ever say anything negative about it. To me, I think that I don't see this. Like, my critique of Jason Garrett is really a critique of of trying to explain to people why the perception doesn't meet the reality. What's wrong with that? You know, I had a coach that I was critical of for a long time. He's become one of my friends, and I respect him now. He contacted me and said, hey, help me out, and I did. So, like, for me, it's like, like, I'm not saying I have all the answers because I clearly don't, and I can learn from a lot of people as well. But to me, if you're not trying to learn something you know, then what are you trying to if you just want me to tell you everything's rosy and everything's wonderful, then it's 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 just not reality
2: it's a common axiom of life. You'll remember the people who are honest with you rather than those who are just nice to you. Because people are going to kiss your ass and lie to you your whole life, especially the higher up the food chain you go. But those who are honest with you, it's kind of like what little Stevie was saying. you got to have at least one guy in your group who's known you a long time, who's not going to kiss your ass and feed it to you straight. And say, yeah. Lombardi, you're full of shit. Yeah, hey, Burke, you're a moron. Okay, that's fine. I'll yeah. take
0: that. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, if I, like, I like if I think I'm too hard on somebody, you know, uh, Millie thinks I'm too hard on everybody. She says, like, go easy <laughs> on that. Go easy on that, you know, because it, you know she's. Once, you know, we got two sons in the NFL, and she's like, oh, they could, I don't want to damage their careers, but they stand on their own. Like, I can't, like, defend, you know, they'll get their own jobs. They're, they have their own careers, and I don't want to hurt them, and certainly, but I also can't say something that's not true, you know? Yeah. It's going to help. That's been be the like, problem oh, you... in my career. I mean, that's been that's why I'm not in the league. That's I what have... makes it a great podcast, though.
2: Unvarnished, authentic truth.
0: I can't say something that's not true. I'm just not going to say, okay, you're wonderful. That's a great idea. Let's do that.
2: <laughs> and you do it in your own unique spin. Speaking of coaches, your kids are coaches. We talked about Lincoln Riley as he's moving on from Oklahoma over to USC. And there's more news involving coaches. Notre Dame and Brian Kelly moving on as he goes to LSU. And uh, now Notre Dame defensive coordinator Marcus Freeman He's emerged as a leading candidate to be the Fighting Irish's head football coach. He just completed his first season as Notre Dame's DC, uh, and Brian Kelly had pursued him in the past. But, of course, Kelly is the major news. The fact he's been with Notre Dame a long time, Mike, Um, well-respected. I obviously was very successful. Notre Dame unable to win a national championship It got to the college football playoff. And now he says, you know what? I'm going to go over to the Bayou Bengals as Ed Orgeron is moving on. I love the chess pieces. I love the dominoes here. I know we normally don't talk a lot of college football, but this is pretty major news. Have a Notre Dame football coach going to LSU and Brian Kelly.
0: Yeah, no doubt it is. And I think that, you know, LSU, look, let's be clear, is one of the top five jobs in the country, including pro jobs, okay? So if you wanted to be a pro coach, which Brian Kelly certainly has wanted to do, Uh, This job is a pro job. You're going to coach the best of the best in the conference that has all the best players. To me, it, it doesn't surprise me. I think what happened was, now, Lincoln Riley has indicated to me that he was never interested in LSU and never talked to them. But something was going on on LSU's campus, okay? LSU had a catering company all ready to make a major announcement on Sunday night. Like, they had their guy. Uh, you know, a lot of people think, me included, thinks Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley says that's not true, that he never was interested in LSU, that, it, that if anything, it was USC. Take him for his word, like Lincoln, no deal, okay? But to me, why would you call a caterer? I mean, you know, unless Fred Palermo's coming over for dinner, what do you need a caterer for? <laughs> like, seriously. So, okay. And then, I, so here's what I think happens. Trace Armstrong has been involved in this. He's the agent, former player, wonderful man. He was—he's been involved in all this, and he represents Brian Kelly. He also has Matt Rule, and he has a bunch of coaches. He's on the phone with the AD. I'm sure the AD said, "Hey, you know, we lost our guy." Trace says, "You want Brian Kelly? I'll get you Brian Kelly." Then he calls Brian Kelly. Said, "Hey, would you take this job?" And then you brought. And Trace has got to be able to go back to the AD at, at LSU and say, "Look." I promise you, if you get on the phone with Kelly and he likes what he hears, he's willing to leave Notre Dame. He's willing to leave Notre Dame. And I think that's how it happens within a 48-hour period. I think Brian had always had the itch to leave Notre Dame. I think he didn't think he could take it. Now, he says he could, but I don't think he felt like you could really compete on the highest level. I think that's, you know, and I think there's probably some truth to that. But LSU, you now you put big boy pants on, you're in a big-time conference, there's no excuses now you know, you're going to be able to go in there and compete with the best of the best. And look, Brian's won everywhere he's been. So there's no reason to think he can't win. The only thing I would say, AD, is if you look at the quarterbacks at Notre Dame, he's never really had, Ian Book is probably one of the better quarter, I mean, he has never had a quarterback that you say, wow. And if you're going to win a championship in the Southeast Conference, you better have a wow quarterback. You just better have a wow quarterback. I mean, it might hurt hurt Georgia this year without a wow quarterback, as great as they are as a team. So I think that's the case. Now, for Notre Dame, Marcus Freeman, that's a tough job. If Notre Dame's smart, if Notre Dame's really smart, they hire Freeman and they hire a David Cutcliffe or somebody to be the assistant head coach to help this guy learn how to, because Notre Dame is not the job to learn on the job.
2: Cutcliffe, obviously great resume, obviously a very strong offensive mind with Duke. It's interesting, when I was covering college football at ESPN, everyone would always say about Notre Dame, listen, because of their athletic requirements, excuse me, academic requirements, it's just so tough for this team to compete. Like, if you were just an outsider, you go, wait, Notre Dame, that's a historic school. They haven't won a national championship since 1988. Like, what's wrong? What's the problem? They got tons of money, great boosters, national following. And they'd say, yeah, but the academic requirements are so hard, they don't prioritize football, though the other schools do. Do you buy that? or is No, there any, I think any, that's no? full
0: okay. of shit. Let me ask you this question. Do you I'm ever sure. know an elite quarterback who didn't have good grades? Did no, you no, ever no, know great. an elite quarterback who wasn't dating the prom queen? Did you ever know an elite quarterback who wasn't, who didn't have all his shit together? I mean, like, seriously, that's just a cock of crap, right? If you're Notre Dame, you could throw your shit out there and say, I'll get whoever I want at quarterback. Like, right, you're I Notre am, Dame. Yeah. I'm Notre Dame. I mean, like, you're telling me that the best quarterbacks in the country can't enroll in Notre Dame? I mean, they're always high, you know, the prom queen. They got the high academic standards, great SATs. Come on, give me a break. That's just a bunch. You're just picking the wrong one. Yeah. It really is about picking. And then don't tell me, you know, you can't get there's a ton it's the United States of America. There's a lot of players, and a lot of them have good grades. I mean, the Michael Mayer kid, the tight end they got that looks like Gronk. I mean, he went to a Catholic school in, in Kentucky. I mean, how many Catholic schools are there? You know, you go to a Catholic school, you get good grades. I mean, I think it's just a crock of crap. It's a convenient excuse for you, maybe you're not just picking the right players or you're settling for somebody. You know, you, sometimes you got to dig a little deeper. I think it's, I think it's uh, and that's what would worry me about Brian. I mean, Brian is going to have to do a good job of coaching the quarterback in that conference. Because as we see with Mississippi's great season this year with Matt Corral, and it's going to take a great quarterback to win the Southeast Conference. You just don't go in there and just say, okay, we're going to win with defense. We're going to play. You're going to have a great run game. No, no, no. There's too many hard games during the season.
2: Always like Brian Kelly. I'd be there with Joey Galloway, Danny Cannell, or Jesse Palmer on the sidelines. It'd be like Notre Dame, Alabama, college football playoff. Like, hey, good luck, coach. You guys got a chance. And then it'd be like 14-0 mid-first quarter. Like, hey, well, you know what, coach? <laughs> At least you guys made it. At least you guys made it, okay? It's a hard thing to do to beat Nick Saban in Alabama. Let's get to the games themselves. Best of luck to Brian Kelly and LSU. We got football tonight. Cowboys and the Saints. Good game right out of the gate. Taysom Hill led offense trying to attack. Dallas is suspect defense. Dallas has some questions, Mike. They've lost three or four games. Mike McCarthy's gonna the game of covid although that may be addition by subtraction <laughs> depending who you talk to so dan quinn will handle the responsibilities i think this is an important game mike they're, they're only two games up right now in the nfc east listen i don't think philly and washington are good enough to catch dallas but i do think for their psyche and for their mindset hey let's go boys let's knock out new orleans and get a nice win here
0: you know i, I think it's a huge game a Taysom hill playing quarterback certainly gives new orleans a little bit of juice uh, because of his ability to run and throw the football, especially down the field. He's not the savior, but obviously they, they feel they'll get Kamara back. The Cowboys get Amari Cooper back. They won't get Randy Gregory back. they get DeMarcus Lawrence back. So they're getting some of their players back, which is critical. They have to get that. They have to be able to do that to survive. I mean, it, this is a hard place to play, New Orleans. I mean, they beat the Bucs in there a while ago. This will be a really hard game for the Cowboys. This will be a hard game for the Cowboys because – you know, both teams are playing on, a, you know, just, it's a, it's a one-week schedule. They'll get their 10 days off after this game. But to me, I think this is a really hard game. It's a hard game to handicap. It's a hard game to go with. I would lean towards taking the, I would definitely lean towards taking the the, the Saints and the points because I think the Cowboys. It's going to be a little bit of a rock'em sock'em type game because the Saints are good on defense. You can't deny what they've been able to do on defense. And when you look it over, you know the Cowboys are going to have to play well up front and starting with their offensive line. Smith has been hurt. Terrence Steele is on COVID, and then you come back, and then it, Collins is he healthy? I think that's going to be a really hard game. Yeah, Cowboys at minus five, favoring to win, but we'll see what happens
2: tonight on Fox and NFL Network. Chargers and the Bengals, six and five LA and seven and four Cincinnati. The battle of two of the most inconsistent teams. The Bengals right now at minus three. Just when they start to look great, they'll fall apart. And the Chargers, obviously, they'll surprise you when you think their team's going to be out of it. Justin Herbert really struggled in Denver. I want to know if that's going to
0: continue against Cincy's really aggressive defense. You know, I think the Chargers are just not good enough on defense. I mean, this is a game where the Chargers have struggled to really play great defense over the last month of the season. I mean, they have, every time they play against a good quarterback, a passing quarterback, they struggle. Now, last time they, you know, they beat the they beat the Eagles because the Eagles were just, really, it was all about the ground game. The Eagles threw for less than hundred 200 yards in that game. Look, they can amass all the points, but the prob- all the yards in the league. I mean, they had 533 yards against the Steelers. But when you look at this team, it's their inability to create turnovers on defense. And if they're going to beat the, the the Bengals in this game, they've got to create turnovers. They've only had three turnovers created in the last five weeks. Three. That's all they've had. They can't make enough plays. As good a Bosa is, you know, and it's funny, I've watched this mob show on, on Amazon and the Bosa family is related to Arca- the Arcada. The, uh, the the used to, was the head of the Chicago mob, the outfit. Have you ever seen this? Tony no, What is this on? What's what mob show is this you're watching? It's, what reality it's on. Show? It's on Amazon. It's kind of like a docu series. It was eight parts, and it's really about the history of Al Capone. It was oh, wow. really kind of good. But Tony O'Caro, who was ran the Chicago mob after Capone, that is his daughter. Married a Bosa, and so Joey Bosa, I think, is his great grandson. Wow, how about that? Not gonna mess with that guy. It's no main no. guy here. Okay, no main guy. No, no. <laughs> no. We're going t- anyway. Hats <laughs> off, and we'll get back to the course at hand. But I mean, I think that's the biggest issue, right? The Chargers can't get off the field. They're they're thirty first on third down defense. Reds on third down. They can't. They're horrible in the red zone. They're twenty fourth defensively. It's for all, for as good as Staley looks like he started out the season to be, he hasn't been very good. Lose one, win one, lose one. They two-game lose streak, then they come back and win one. I think this will be a really hard game, although this will probably be the best I think the Chargers played all year. But Mixon is coming on, and I think it's going to be hard to stop the Chargers, stop Bengals' run game.
2: Yeah, and Mixon's been excellent so far. The almost a thousand yards rushing he's had so far this year. Eckler, obviously a good running back as far as the Chargers are concerned, and you certainly have no shortage of good receivers here when you look at Chase and and all the rest of those guys can provide. So that game is something that we can look forward to. You know, elsewhere it's interesting when you look at. You know, some of the slate here, it gets a little bit confusing because you say to yourself, all right, I think some of these games should go a certain way, and then I don't really know. For example, Washington, they're five and six. Like, I don't think they're a good team, Mike. I really don't. But they're
0: in the playoffs. They're the seventh seed in the
2: playoffs. Can you believe right. that? It's insane. Like, this is one of my fears. When you expand playoffs, you go, okay, there's always going to be some munchkin that comes in as the seventh seed, and you go, this team has no business being here. And then all of a sudden, they'll pull off an upset, and the number two seed, and you go, oh my God, what are we doing here? But, anyways, let's put the cart before the horse. There are events, a Raiders team, which, again, is so inconsistent. The Raiders are favorite at two and a half, but Washington's actually won three games in a row. They're two back of Dallas in the NFCs. We're calling them the fighting Heineke's. Like I have to at least
0: give them a fighting chance. I have to respect them. No, Uh, no doubt. I mean, you have to, I mean, look, this is a game that, that, that the Washington football team should, I'm surprised they're not favored in this game. I really am. Uh, I mean, the Raiders are coming off a three-game losing streak. They win the overtime thanks to uh, my man uh, Sean Hockley. You know that <laughs> overtime win that they get there. Uh, they give up 437 yards. They they get 509. Their offense came back this week, but can they come back against Washington? Washington, since Chase Young's gone, has done a much better job since the second half of the Kansas City Chief game five weeks ago. Since that game, they were 13. That they were in the lead, 13 to 10 in that game. And they went into halftime, and they gave up 21 points. Since that game, since that game, this Washington football team has only given up 300 yards one time, and that was to Green Bay. They gave up 304. Now, they're 3-2 and two since that game, and they've won. They've beaten the Bucks. They dominated. They beat Carolina. They beat Seattle. I think this will be a hard game for them. They've got to be able to put pressure on Carr. But I think they're starting to peak at the right time. They're running the ball better. Heineke has played really well. I mean, you can't deny, you know, what they did, you know, the two-point conversion. Russell didn't see the guy in the back of the end zone. I think he had DK Metcalf. If he just throws it to the back corner, it's going to tie the game up. But they found ways to win. The kicking situation, who knows? I mean, they're on their fourth kicker now. They could mess that up. Last time they brought a kicker in, the guy could barely get the ball back to the line of scrimmage. So who knows what's going to happen? I kind of like Washington this game.
2: Yeah, Vegas is coming off that thrilling win at Jury's World on Turkey Day. Maybe you say, okay, Vegas is due for a letdown. Washington has been streaking, and they could win their fourth game in a row. As always, Mike will give his picks uh, Sunday on Substack and on Twitter and Instagram. Raiders favored once again at minus two and a half. Coming up next, Ravens and Steelers. That game never disappoints, although Pittsburgh has been brutal. I mean, they're a 500 team right now. The 2021 on the lamb MVP has been big. Ben Roethlisberger, their season's on the brink. Lamar and the Ravens grinding out wins. Plus, Monday Night Football and Buffalo for first place the AFC East and my man Steve Levy already tweeted today 80% chance of snow Monday in Buffalo can't wait for that did you doubt that
0: did you doubt that
2: no exactly are you kidding it's going to be fun to watch that game we'll talk about it next right here on the GM Shuffle
1: 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.
2: Ravens and Steelers, uh, the worst, one of the worst losses, the Mike Tomlin era, last week in Cincinnati. Pittsburgh reeling, back-to-back losses, a tie to the Lions, and the Ravens come into town. They're favored by minus four and a half. Now, I get why the line is a bigger, Mike, because, listen, I think Steelers get up for a rivalry game. They were embarrassed. They're clearly going to be better than what they were against Cincinnati and Baltimore, they pulled out a nail-biter on Sunday night against the Browns. Lamar threw four picks, and he was awful. I think the Ravens win this game, but they've got something to prove here. They want to get back on the winning track, and Pittsburgh certainly has a chip on their shoulder.
0: I mean, the Ravens haven't played good in a while, right? They didn't play good against Chicago. They got very fortunate to win that game. They made a huge play at the end of the game with Huntley uh, throwing the ball down the field. They they beat the Bears. Uh, they didn't play well in that game. I mean— you know, they, they didn't play well last week and they were fortunate enough to win that game. So to me, and then the Steelers, I mean, look, the Steelers look like they're the boxer that just can't fight anymore, right? I mean, Ben looks like he's stuck in cement shoes. You know, they can't put pressure on him, I I, I think. But this is Steelers, That you know, this is always a close game. These are always two teams that fight it out. And Ben's going to have to play really well in this game because the weakness of the of the Ravens is their inability to play great pass defense. And because of that, you know that that that's where Ben's got to shine. They'll they'll play the run. They'll be able to stop Najee Harris, but they'll have a trouble trying to stop you know Ben. But Ben looks like he's done to me. Again, this whole Lamar thing with this offense with John Harbaugh and the, and the Ravens, I don't understand why they keep fighting it. They keep putting him in shotgun. Like let this guy run some other things better than just RPOs, but. You know they're married to the scheme, and I and I'm just telling you this is going to end up where they're going to fall short again. So
2: that's the story with Baltimore. And that's why they're just so inconsistent. It's frustrating to imagine what that team can do. AFC North though feels like a two-team race. I can't imagine Pittsburgh or Cleveland climbing back into it. Can you, Mike? I think it's Baltimore or
0: Cincy. I, I do, and and I don't think you know Cincy dominated them after the before the bye— you know, Baltimore wins the overtime game against Minnesota. Fortunate to win that game. Minnesota misses a kick, you know, and, and then they come back. They get beat on Thursday night to, to Miami. They're fortunate to win Chicago. I mean, you talk about one of the most fortunate teams in the league. They beat they beat Detroit, fortunately, right? They're very lucky. Indianapolis, they come roaring from behind. They dominated the Chargers. I mean, the one thing about the Ravens, that if you, if you're a Ravens fan, you could honestly say, we haven't played our best football yet. Like we haven't played, we're eight and three and we have not played our best football yet. But they got two tough games. They got Pittsburgh. They got to go back and play Cleveland again. They go Green Bay, Cincinnati, the Rams and the Steelers. I mean, this is truly, this is a must win for Baltimore because on this schedule, there's no easy games from this point on.
2: That is definitely a gauntlet down the stretch. And then we get to Patriots and the Bills cannot wait for this game. From Orchard Park. Bills are favored minus three. It's very, I think, interesting what you said last week, Mike. As good as New England is playing right now, number one ranked defense, obviously Mac Jones has stepped up. You said this is still Buffalo's division. Even if the Patriots right now are technically a half game up, it should be Buffalo that's favored. Now, they dominated the Saints on Thanksgiving. Defense looked great. That, to me, is the matchup I'm looking at. I know Bill Belichick's got this defense rolling, but I want to see Mac Jones in the offense against the Bills defense on the road. I think if Mac Jones can step up in a pressurized environment like this, hostile, inclement weather, I don't think anyone's doubting him, but that would go a long
0: way towards believing Mac Jones has truly arrived. You know, I think this, I think that this is going to come down to who's the more tougher team, who can physically control the line of scrimmage. And when you look at Buffalo during the course of the year, when they've had troubles, when teams have come out and said, we're going to punch you in the mouth, like, we're not really scared of you. We're going to punch you in the mouth. And, you know, we see Indianapolis runs for 264. I mean, Tennessee, wasn't scared they ran for 146 against them even the chiefs ran for buck 20 you're gonna have to control the line of scrimmage you're gonna have to bang it you're gonna have to convert short and thirds and shorts you're gonna have to take the game to them. You're going to have to take the game to them. You can't let them get away with Milano inside, smaller linebacker. You've got to take the power of your team and push them back, which is what the Patriots have have done a good job of. And and then the Patriots are going to have to do a really good job of controlling Josh Allen in the pocket, not letting him get out, not letting him make the plays that he wants to play. Dare them to run the ball. Dare them to see if they'll run the football. I think it's going to be a great game. And I think more than anything – is going to determine it how you built your team based on the weather is going to be so critical This is why you know when you sit there in baseball you design your baseball team around the park you play in in football you have to design your team around the around the weather you play in you've got to and we'll see if Buffalo has done that I think their offensive line has got some liability now Mac Jones going up there to play in Buffalo snow cold weather, Monday night football, it's going to be a a playoff atmosphere. It'll be interesting to see. I'm anxious to watch him play in that game. We always talk about
2: coaching. How about the Brian Dable-Bill Belichick chess match? Obviously, you've spoken <laughs> very positive of both these
0: guys. That's just going to be yeah. fun to watch those guys trying to out-scheme each other, right? Well, yeah. I mean, Brian knows what Bill's going to try to do. Brian's Brian knows that Bill's going to try to contain the quarterback. He's going to have to do things to offset him. And they're going to basically, both coaches have spent most of their time just watching the games against, against one another. How can we attack them? And then what happens during the game is the adjustments. Like, what are we going to do to adjust it once we figure out what he wants to do? And we know Allen wants to run the ball. He's run the ball more than ever. And the, the, the Bills need him to run the ball. And we watch the game. You got to keep him in the pocket, force him to play quarterback, force him to handle this situation. And I think that the weather will dictate it, right? So we know it's hard to kick the ball in snow. So field goals are going to be, short field goals are going to be the issue. You can't go long field goals in this weather because it's hard to kick it. Those balls are frozen like kicking cinder blocks. So yeah, it'll be the chess match between two. Plus McDermott against McDaniels. McDaniels plays against the McDermott. They know how to run the ball against Buffalo. So there'll be that chess match. I think it'll be a great, great game.
2: I think it's a massive game for the Bills. If they win this game, they're eight and four. The Patriots are eight and five. Okay. The Bills have a half game edge. If the Bills lose, they're now seven and five and the Patriots are nine and four. And it really feels like the New England will be in the driver's seat. So I think Buffalo wins the game, but I think that minus three feels right about there where it should be. It's going to be a close game and a fun game to watch on Monday night. As always, send us your mailbag questions to gmshuffle at gmail.com or feel free to send us a message on Instagram at the GM shuffle. This is from Chris from Denver. Love the pod. One thing I noticed with all these teams going for it more than ever on fourth down, that's a turnover if you don't get it. You gave them the ball right where you just were. How is that different from a fumble and why don't we count that as a turnover? The analytics people never mention that.
0: It's unbelievable. They never do. They never count it as a turnover. And to me, it should be in the stat sheet. And that's why there's so much hidden yards in that stat sheet. Like for example, you know, no one talks about the penalties in the kicking game, right? So if you if you punt the ball to me and you're backed up and you're punting from the back line of your the end zone, and I get the ball at midfield and there's a holding call on me, and you know, and now the ball is at the 35, right? That, and as opposed to being at the 50. Or I say I returned it to the 30. But the, I got the ball at the 45. I returned it to the fifth. I returned it to the 35. I had a 15-yard return. But now, the, now I'm starting to drive at the 25. Add up those yards. Those hidden yards in football. And it's the same thing with this turnover. Miss field goals and turning the ball over on fourth down is a turnover, and it goes into that category just because you didn't misplace the ball on first, second, or third down. Doesn't. It's only the sole reason. It should definitely change. It should definitely change. And so to me I don't understand it. We have to adapt that. It's like why don't we spend more time on television talking about the 4 point play, third down in the red zone? I mean, we should I don't understand how the NFL doesn't have a a sponsor for the for the red zone fourth down play. You know, call it the call it the four-point play sponsored by Michelob Ultra. Or X-chair. Let X-chair, <laughs> X-chair sponsor yeah. it. Yeah. Let's X-chair's let X-chair chair sponsor it. You know, like, Jesus, God, sit in your X-chair on all fourth downs, on all third, <laughs> third downs in the red zone, you know? You know, sponsored by the X-chair. Relax. I mean, it's, like, ridiculous. It, there should be a graphic that comes up. It, it, the fans should know how significantly important that call is and the result is.
2: One more game I want to squeeze in before we do the pop culture minute. Broncos and Chiefs on Sunday night football. KC is favored by minus nine and a half. Wow. Denver, like if if they had a quarterback, Mikey if they had a quarterback, they'll be okay. But no, they don't have a quarterback. <laughs> There's a team that's been too inconsistent. And the Chiefs, now you feel like Mahomes and them are gonna start rolling. I just thought the line to me was was interesting.
0: Like nine and a half. Like, okay. Everyone is really buying back in on KC, right? Yeah, every and and a team they buy back in on KC, and KC doesn't cover. They're two and nine against the spread. They don't cover. And every Everybody buys back in on him. It's hilarious. You know, it's like, it doesn't take much to fall back in love. You know, it's like ridiculous. And, and like, for me on this game, like I have this game as a seven point game, you know, and, and my numbers on my power ranks. I mean, Kansas City has definitely improved defensively. There's no doubt, but Teddy Bridgewater, last time he was a nine and a half, 10 point dog. They went into Dallas and won that game. Now, do I think they'll beat Kansas City? No. But Andy Reid coming off a bye, always hard to play, you know. But I think Denver's playing really well defensively. I think they'll give them some trouble.
2: And another line I want to mention, Jaguars-Rams. Talk about a team in need of a, of a patsy in the Jaguars. that yeah. be the Rams. Minus 13. We'll throw you a little fresh red meat here to the line. Get your game back. You can go beat up an Urban Meyer's team.
0: Yeah, we'll talk about how great they are. You know, I was doing some work on the Rams. And, and really, it's interesting. Under golf, the Rams averaged about 24 rushes a game, right, last year. Uh, under, excuse me, this year they're averaging 24 rushes a game. Under Goff, they were at 29. I mean, they can't run the ball to the same level. And I think because of that, because again, I'm not a, a proponent, running the ball leads to field goals. I get that. But there is a physical sense of toughness, and it protects your offensive line. And I think because they can't really run the ball to the same level, that offensive line has gotten exposed. And we're seeing Stafford throw the ball to the other team like he did at Detroit. I mean this is one of those last time they went out to the West Coast. I mean, look, the, the Charge the, the Jaguars, last time Urban went out to the West Coast, he got sent home 31 to 3 by Seattle, who's not a good team. Yeah. So what do you think about what's gonna happen in this game? <laughs> Seahawks terrible right now. They got their hands full. They're three and eight at home against the six and
2: five San Francisco 49ers. All right, now time for the pop culture minute. My wife really wanted to go see House and Gucci. And I wanted to go see it. I just appreciate, like, how many more times can I see my man Al Pacino on the big screen? I mean, he's 80 years old. There's Al just doing his thing, playing the father of the Gucci uh, family. Lady Gaga, obviously, just to—I mean, listen, I don't want to say a gold digger, but she knew what she was getting into. Okay, she's marrying Adam Driver. He's in the Gucci family. They got all these riches. Overall, though, I found the film meandering, a little bit aimless at times, but it's got a lot of style. Ultimately, it's style over substance, the production design, the costume design. But to your point the tweet that you said, everybody has a different accent. Jeremy <laughs> Irons still sounds like he has a British accent, Pacino kind of sounds like a little bit of Brooklyn Italian. Uh, I don't know what Lady Gaga's doing Driver sounds like he's okay and the best part of the way is Jared Leto who's unrecognizable he's like hey what do you want from me he's like doing your classic overdone Italian guy you know bald got like a fat suit
0: the pizza parlor the pizza
2: parlor accent. accent yeah so I, I can't wait for you to see it just to go okay rate the Italian accents one to six Jeremy Irons is the worst that's one that's
0: my man Joel Solomon I mean he he nailed that he said that the Steelers have as many personalities as they do and Gucci <laughs> has, has a dialect I mean obviously there wasn't a dialect coach on this movie. No, you guys just all kind of do your own thing, and we'll figure it out. Yeah, the worst is when they do the Italian, like the pizza parlor guy. Yes. Like, like yeah. seriously, like you know, that's like, and you know, he's got the apron on, yeah, and he yeah. sounds like right. he's just over the top Italian with stains on the apron. You know, <laughs> just made a fresh pie. This is not my pie. You know, this isn't my pie. You know, right, right. like that's so bad.
2: I, I, I saw in New York. I think I tweeted you one time. It was in Little Italy. There was like a sign that says, "You take taking my space, I break your face." So I'm like, that, <laughs> that's that classic Italian. Yeah, I mean, it's so. So bad. I mean, they get it so bad. Yeah, but uh, anyways, that's House of Gucci. How about, oh, I want to mention this too. I, we just taped the 200th episode of Cinephile, which is really cool. Go check it out on Metal Arc. I talked to James Andrew Miller, the author of the new HBO book. I just
0: downloaded that book. I'm going to start listening to that book. Oh. I got to finish my Frank Costello book, but I, I got to download that book because I saw some things about The Soprano in this yes. book.
2: That's why I want to tell you about it. There's stuff about There, I don't want to spoil it for you, but I'll just go ahead. There's an excerpt in The Ringer. I had no idea about this. We knew Gandolfini had demons, right? Battle with cocaine, alcohol, Sometimes he'd be out boozing. their right ready to shoot. He wasn't there because he had a bender. I'm like, okay, it happens, whatever. But there's a story in there. Chris Albrecht, who's running HBO, David Chase, Gandolfini's sisters, went to his place to have an intervention. Like, this is truly art imitating reality. We all know that when Christopher had the intervention, there was an actual intervention for James Gandolfini. He walked in and like, saw them and was like, Fuck you guys. And looked at Chris Albert and like, hey, you can go ahead and fucking fire me. I'm like, this is shocking to me. Like what the Sopranos, we know there's drama on every show, Mike, but it's amazing how uh, tumultuous it was. And Fini, generous guy, big hearted, but man, that guy had some demons. I can't wait for you to read the book.
0: Uh, obviously, I can't wait either. Now, they also talk about in this book, they get into Succession and The yes. Wire too, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Any HBO show. I mean, listen, The Wire. So it's all
0: of, HBO. It's all based all on HBO.
2: HBO. Yeah. Oral history. And they talk to every executive and artist. And like David Simon's fascinating. He was like, you know, I don't make shows that rate very well. And The Wire, like, every year we had to grind it out. A few more episodes, a few more episodes. We never had Emmy recognition, not big ratings. But now the show's considered a classic. Like, it's amazing how HBO, they truly, a lot of people say this, but they value artistic integrity. If it's high quality excellence, we're going to do that. And Succession, I mean, that's a huge hit for them to get back to where they used to be.
0: Yeah, it it really is. I mean, and I don't know where it's going. I haven't been caught up on Succession. But, you know, to me, it seems like some of these shows, they kind of, that's what made The Soprano and The Wire so good. They had... Already, they had they had built in storylines that they could alter, like when they went to the dock or when they went to the schools or in The Sopranos. You know, it's Richie Aprile, and now we'll shift it over to Ralphie, and then we'll come back with Feech. You know, they, they had to, and Melfi controlled everything by what she what direction she wanted to send the show in. So, but like Succession, it's always hard for me to figure out. Like that's the problem with Billions. Where are you going to go with this? Like Billions, they had to bring in the guy, the new guy, to be the demon. You know yeah and so it's like you just you're repeating the same thing over again, and one thing success should follow the model of the sopranos. one, hey, unlikable characters,
2: who cares? As long as they're interesting and the dialogue is acerbic and fresh and funny, it's fine. yeah. and don't worry about hiring stars. We make stars. James right. Gandolfini was a working actor. He'd done some things. It wasn't a major name. Edie Falco was in Oz. Okay, no, no. These guys are going to be household names. Succession's done that just as the Sopranos
0: did. No doubt, no doubt. I, I, think that's the. It's the dialogue, the words that come out of their mouth are more important than who they are.
2: Yeah, I can't wait for you to download and listen to the book. Uh, as always, check out the GM Shuffle. Thank you to all of you. By the way, I looked it up. Two hundred episodes, of cinephile. For me and Mike,
0: this is our two hundred fourth episode of the GM Shuffle. So wow. We, we missed our two hundredth episode. Yeah, we, didn't, damn, even we didn't even get a cake. I could have gone to the awards and got a cake. Jesus. <laughs> Christ. (laughs) Any chance to eat cake, I'm all for it. Let them eat cake in honor of Marie Antoinette. We'll talk to you next time on the GM Shuffle.